In the fields of the Lord stood Abel and Cain. Cain slew Abel neath the black rain. At night he couldn't stand the guilt or the blame. So he gave it a name. So he gave it a name. So he gave it a name. So this semester, we're doing a series through the book of Romans called, we're just calling it Broken and Beloved, or Beloved, however you want to say that. And what I want to do is kind of start that series tonight by looking at one, really two verses from Romans chapter one. And I'm going to kind of do two things. I want to say what I think Paul and what I think Jesus has to say to us tonight from Romans 1, 16 and 17. And then I also want to talk briefly just about what is RUF, because I know some of you are here, it's your first time, and we're super glad you're here. Um, but that being said, you can either turn with me in your Bible, on your phone, or in your handout to Romans 1, 16 and 17, and I'm going to read it for us. So Paul, Romans is Paul's by far most famous book. You could say a lot of things about it. You could say that it's, it's, so, it's the depths and the heights of what we as Christians call the gospel. And in fact... It's more than that because it's actually, if you, it's like pulling back the layers of this gospel message, especially for my engineers or my sort of math-minded people, and showing you how the gospel works uh, in us, essentially, and in the world. And it's a beautiful thing. We're going to be spending all semester in it. And what I want to do tonight is simply start, though, with this idea of, of what it means to not be ashamed of the gospel. So listen to Romans 1, 16 and 17. Here's what Paul writes. For I am not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Pray with me and then we're going to dive in. Let's pray first. Um, Jesus, we, so we come in all kinds of ways tonight. Some of us come and we're, we're, we're glad to be here. Uh, some of us come and we sort of wish we had not returned our friend's text and we sort of ignored it because we're not so glad to be here. Uh, Lord, some of us are feeling uh, overwhelmed with things that no one really knows but you. Uh, Lord, some of us come and we are excited to be at USC. Some of us come and we are nervous and homesick. Lord, some of us come and we are trusting and worshiping you. And some of us come and we're really not even sure what we think of you. Um, If we're being honest, we come with lots of doubts and questions. And Lord, we thank you that you are the one who welcomes us. You are the one who uh, has brought us not only here tonight, but you've brought us to uh, listen to your word and to listen to what it is that you have to say to us about the gospel. And Lord, I pray that the gospel would, would ring so loud and true and clear in all of our ears and hearts that we would leave this place changed. Um, and Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Uh, so I turned 35 this year, and I still, when I walk into the USC campus, like feel paralyzed. Um, this happened yesterday where we did an ice cream social, so I'm, I'm helping set up. And as soon as I walk onto campus, I'm immediately thinking, uh, do are people? What do people think about me? I'm too old to be here. Like, am I dressed like in a way that I fit in and don't look completely stupid? And I told my family to come. I've got a wife and a 
family, wife and four kids. I don't know why that's funny or hard, but so I tell them to come, come join us for the ice cream social. And my wife's like, can't find a parking space. She's like, where should I park? And I'm like, oh, just park on Green Street and the bike lane. They're not going to care. You're going to be here 15 minutes. It'll be fun. Just come eat some ice cream. Sure enough, we're standing there. And thankfully, my wife is in a conversation, but she sees a tow truck come and she takes notice. And then she sees that tow truck pull up behind our minivan, which is a whole other story of shame, and, she, and it lifts, and it, you know, hooks onto our minivan, and she, I mean, she, like, impressively sprints to the point where one student said, did your wife run hurdles in high school? I was like, no, she didn't. She played tennis. So I, at a faster pace, walk over there, because if you were to ever see me run, either I would have to move or I would have to kill you, because we couldn't lock eyes again. If someone has seen you run and is still friends with you, like, that is a friend. Like, they love you. And so I go over there. We thankfully talked the tow truck driver out of towing us. It was a, basically the, the breaking point was my wife burst into tears and talked about her kids, and he unhooked us, and we were free. <laughs> so, but as I was walking back, because my wife and kids went home for bedtime, but as I was walking back toward a group of students eating ice cream, the thought that was pressing in my mind is I hope no one saw that. Because if they did, I'm going to be super, and every, obviously everyone did, I'm going to be super embarrassed because I desperately care and want to be well thought of and want to be seen as cool, whatever that means. And for me, maybe you can relate to this, the desire and pursuit for coolness often robs me of my joy and my confidence and, my, and, and just having a humble relationship with Jesus and who I am in him. And so when Paul pins these words in Romans 1, I think he's, he's, he's saying something powerful first to himself and then to us. And what he's saying is, I am not ashamed of this gospel that says, I am so broken, Jesus had to die for me. But I am so loved by God, he was glad to die for me. I am not ashamed of this gospel. Because if we're honest, if you read scripture, if you've known scripture, it's not like Paul never was ashamed. Like, if we were to turn right now, we're not going to, but if we were to turn to the end of Acts 15, there's this sort of heartbreaking passage where Paul and his best friend in ministry, Barnabas, part ways. They have this serious sort of ministry breakup. And the reason is, this young guy, Mark, who has been seriously led astray, Barnabas thinks should be restored and join Barnabas in ministry, and Paul totally disagrees and says, no way, Mark, I don't trust him, he's not coming with me. And in that moment... I think we could say Barnabas is believing and not being ashamed of the gospel. Paul is a little. So it's not like he never was ashamed. So I think what he's doing is he's reminding himself, I don't have to be ashamed of this gospel. It's this beautiful thing. But he's also saying something powerful to you and me. He's saying something that we do get ashamed. And I think if you think about how do we get ashamed of the gospel, that's kind of the first thing I want you to see tonight. What are the ways or what does it look like when we get ashamed of the gospel? This is what I've been thinking about as I've been preparing and I think there really are two ways that you and I, that we, are, can, can be ashamed of the gospel, especially if you're a freshman or, you know, it's funny, like you're a freshman, you're stepping into campus, you're a believer, it's about to hit you, if it hasn't already. Or even if you come back, I mean, summers can be these, you're, you're at camp, it's easy to kind of believe and, and live by the gospel, you come back to school and you immediately feel it. It's easy for you and I to be ashamed of the gospel, and we do it, I think, in two ways. Two ways, not one, two. The first way is we can become ashamed of the gospel intellectually. Like, intellectually, we can think, what do, what do our professors 
What are our friends who are, who, do not, who are not Christians, what do they think of us? And I think sometimes it feels like, intellectually, that at best we can feel, I don't know, sort of sheltered. And at worst, we can feel just plain dumb. And there's a sense in which we're ashamed of the gospel. And I think, uh, you know, it's funny for me, I was um, on Twitter just a few, uh, really a week ago, and I follow this guy, Norm MacDonald, who was a, if you're a Saturday Night Live person, he's a Saturday Night Live, he was really popular in the 90s, and uh, he was actually, li- he live tweets a lot, if you ever follow him, and it's sort of obnoxious, so here he is, he's live tweeting this episode of The Last Comic Standing. And I didn't see the episode, but the guy apparently made a joke where he compared uh, the Bible to Harry Potter, and just like, I get confused with the stories, and Norm is sort of going off on the actual joke and saying it's not funny. And at first, he's like, it's not funny because it's too easy to target religious people. And I was like, okay, I see you, Norm. <laughs> and then he said, because, and also the joke doesn't land because no one, and this is the thing that got me, no serious person believes the Bible. And I thought, oh, like, I feel like I'm a serious person. And, I, like, I believe the Bible. Now, like, I know some of you are here, and maybe you're, like, you're with Norm. And I am so glad you're here. And maybe you do sort of think, do we really kind of believe this Bible? You know, do we believe this thing that is kind of like, man, if we read it and we read the hard parts, God does some crazy things. Can any open-minded person in the 21st century, like, look at this book and say, yes, this is us. This is who God is. This is who I am. Or maybe you grew up in like a church that was like a very conservative, fundamentalist church. And you felt like if you even questioned, much less doubted, anything in the Bible, that you were not in the kingdom. And I just want to say two quick things to that. To, to, if that's you, if you're here and you sort of feel that way, and you're, you, maybe you're here, you don't know why you're here. I want to say two things to you. Number one, I am sorry. I am deeply sorry for people and churches and ministries that make you, have made you feel like you, you can't bring your questions and your doubts to Jesus. Because Jesus disagrees with them. And Jesus, one quick read through the Gospels, especially together the story of Thomas, Jesus welcomes your questions. He welcomes your doubts. Your questions and your doubts are not a cancer to faith. They're actually an antibody that gives you a vibrant, bright, beautiful faith. So please, you have to know about RAF. This is a place where we long for you to come and bring your questions. If you don't have questions, you're not in a healthy place. If you, don't, if you can't bring your questions to Jesus, you don't know and worship the real Jesus. That's the first thing. The second thing that I want to say is this. You know, there should be no such thing. Here's how I want to say it. There should be no such thing as a closed-minded Christian. That part of what it means to be a Christian, Jesus himself said, that, like the great, he said, the, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You don't check your mind. When you become a Christian, you don't check your mind at the door. Your mind is this vital part of what it means to love and know and follow Jesus. And there's a real sense in which, you know, that, that to be a Christian is to be this beautifully open-minded person who is constantly bringing and listening to, to finding truth and listening to truth wherever it is found and listening in ways where you can articulate what the other person who disagrees with you believes and thinks, but in a way that doesn't caricature them, in a way that doesn't make them feel small, in a way that is kind, in a way that is honest, in a way that is true, in a way that is good. And we can take, we can, if we really trust Jesus, we can take what Paul says in another, in 1 Corinthians, when he writes to Corinthians, and he says, I want you to take every thought captive to Jesus Christ and make it obedient to him. That doesn't, it's a weird image, right? But the, but the assumption is that you're actually interacting with 
and listening to people who disagree with you. And then you're, you're grabbing, it's like, it's like you're kidnapping these thoughts, which is a weird image. And then you're taking them to Jesus and you're taking them to his word and you're saying, Jesus, what do, we, what do you think of this? Guide me into your truth. But there's a sense of part of what it means to be a Christian is to constantly be, a, you, let me say it this way, you can't be a Christian and not be a thoughtful person. You can't be a Christian and not have a mind that is hungry to learn and to grow and to know the living God. Um, and here's what I want to say, especially if you're new to USC, and maybe this is radical for you, but this is really important to us, is that your first calling right now is to be a student. That part of what it means for you right now to follow and love Jesus is to be like the best possible student you can be, even in the classes where your professor and your, and your classmates and maybe your major makes, makes you feel like, sometimes being a Christian feels like being a rollerblader. You're like, it's incredible for you, but like everyone else thinks you look so dumb, right? And I think there's a real sense in which, but one of the ways you witness for Jesus is you, you are this incredible student who is a voracious reader who does your work and does your work hard, if I can say it like that, and just is a good student. That's one of the ways Jesus calls you to love him with your mind. Um, so, so first I think we get ashamed of the gospel intellectually. But then I think we get ashamed of the gospel, maybe even more pressing for a lot of us, we get ashamed of the gospel socially. And this is, I think, a bigger, I know this is a bigger one for me. I don't know where you come in. And I think uh, it has nothing really to do with intellect, but it has everything to do with what I mentioned at the beginning, feeling or being cool. And I think it's interesting. So, you know, there's a sense in which, let me just say like this. To be a Christian is to be weird. Like, we are weird people. And, like, I love the way one pastor said it. I'll never forget it. You're not cool. You're a Christian. And, like, I, have to, I need that, like, I need that tattooed on this arm. You're not cool. You're a Christian. And in this arm, I need the words of Jesus from Luke 6, who says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. And then I'd be worried about looking dumb with tattoos because I'm like, can I wear tattoos? I'm too old for tattoos. Can people with four kids have tattoos? I think they can. We'll talk after. But Paul, again, Paul in another place, talking to this idea, again, to the Corinthians, and he says, listen, I, part of my ministry, part of me ministering the gospel, is I was willing and am willing to become all things to all people that by all means I might win some, save some. And what I want to distinguish for you is the difference between being a people pleaser and a people lover. So a people pleaser, which is a lot of us, a people pleaser is ashamed of the gospel. Because you're constantly thinking, am I with cool enough people? You're constantly changing what you believe based on who you're with. You're constantly changing how you behave based on who you're with. You're constantly even changing, if you're like me, your clothes based on who you're with. I literally had a moment where I was meeting with a new student two weeks ago, and I changed my shoes three times. Because I thought, what, this is, I'm, just let, I'm letting you in, I'm being vulnerable here. What shoes will communicate the right amount of where we, I, we get each other? And I literally I changed three times, and I think I went with the wrong ones because they're not here tonight. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, people please are ashamed of the gospel because you're constantly, instead of thinking, what does Jesus think of me, you're constantly thinking, what do you think of me? And when you live by what do you think of me, you're going to constantly change it depending on who you're with. On the other hand, what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians is be a people lover. Part of what he's saying is if you understand the gospel, if you understand this idea that you are so broken, Jesus had to die for you. 
and yet you are so loved he was glad to die for you. If that is sinking into the depths of your heart, part of what Paul is saying is it's going to make you the kind of person who befriends and pursues everybody. Every kind of person from every kind of background. Why? Because you know the thing that we all have in common is on the one hand, we are broken. And we are longing to be fixed. We're longing to be made whole. And on the other hand, in that brokenness, we're longing for someone to know it. We're longing for someone to know the broken parts of our story. We're longing for someone to know the broken parts of ourselves. We're longing for someone to know why we feel broken right now. And we're longing for someone to see and know all that and love us. And, And not just side hug us, but like hug us. And cry with us. And laugh with us. And the reality is we do it in different ways. So if you're Greek, maybe, maybe you're leaving here and the way you're doing it is this. Maybe you're going to go to a bar and you're going to find someone to take home with you because you're longing to fill this, this, these cracks in you. Or if you're a geek, maybe you're going to cookout and you're picking up your food and you're going back to your room and you're firing up a game system and you're going to get lost in an incredible game because you feel small and you long for a bigger story. But do you understand, Greek or geek, you're doing the same thing. You're doing the same thing that we're all doing. We're longing for someone to know the broken parts of us and yet love us in, in, a, in an unbreakable kind of love. And Paul is saying when you get that, you're friends and you befriend, you're a people lover because you understand, that you understand yourself and that you, that you have everything in common when you have that in common. And then he says something more to us. And then he really presses in why we should not be ashamed of the gospel. And what he says is it's a power It's this powerful message that says Jesus only loves broken people because only broken people feel their need for his love. That Jesus moves in love to people who don't have it all together, but to people who can feel and know their need for him. And it's a power, right? It's interesting. He says it's a power, and then he does this thing. This is a big idea for Romans we've got to get. We're going to talk a lot about as we keep going in this series. On the one hand, he does it, he says, to the Jew and to the Greek. And what he's saying is powerful. He's saying to the religious and to the skeptical of religious religion, to the you know the kid who the youth group hero who memorized the book of Philippians and then like recited it in front of church and won an award for some of you, or the kid who was like hated youth group because you felt so judged and you went occasionally for pizza and all you really know about the Bible is from watching episodes of The Simpsons or Family Guy or something. But to the person who you know who is so sure, maybe too sure of what they believe and the person who is not at all sure and is questioning, Paul says for both kinds of people, which is all of us, the gospel is powerful to save. Literally the Greek word he uses is interesting the Greek word he uses is the Greek word dynamos from which we get dynamite and what Paul is saying is listen I'm not ashamed of this gospel because it was such an explosive power in my life that it turned me a Pharisee who wanted to kill Christians because I hated this God, Jesus. It turned me into a Jesus-worshipping, Jesus-following, Jesus-loving, Jesus-proclaiming fool in the best life-giving, life-affirming ways. And it's the same for me. It turned this Pharisee who literally growing up counted on one hand the amount of times I'd ever cussed, who literally went before the board of first priority and told them in what I thought was a spiritual drop-the-mic moment, why, they asked, why should you be the president of first priority? 
And I said, because I have not missed a, a quiet time in over a year. And I was like, oh. And Jesus was like, no. <laughs> the per, a person who had w, I mean, like so many WWJD bracelets that I had multiple outfits to, you know, I matched them to multiple outfits. But I didn't know my need for Jesus. I couldn't have told, I could not have told you why Jesus had to die for me. And Jesus took someone like me, and I can say before you know, I don't know a lot of things. But I do know one thing, is that my only hope in my brokenness, I can't fix my brokenness. But I know that in the midst of my brokenness, there is a God who loves me and knows me and is with me and is for me. And that's the gospel, and it's a power. And when it comes into your life, it turns everything upside down in the best ways. Uh, I love Matt Chandler tells this story uh, that gets at this idea, and I love it. So Matt Chandler's a pastor in Texas, and he tells a story where he's in college, and he's trying to, he's getting to know uh, someone in his class, and she is recently divorced. She's a single mom, and she's currently uh, in a relationship with a married man. And, but they were getting to know each other to the point where he invites her to come to this ministry event on campus where it's going to be one of those things where there's like a band and, you know, after the band plays, there's a speaker. So the band does their thing and all the uncomfortableness that can be Christian music. And then the speaker gets up and Chandler says he go the speaker, I guess the topic they didn't know was on sex and abstinence. And he says the, te- the speaker for the night goes on to give the most fear-mongering, shame-filled talk on sex he's ever heard complete with lines like, you don't want gonorrhea, do you? Like, stuff like that. And his big illustration is he takes this rose at the beginning, and he says, look at this rose, this beautiful rose. Smell this rose. Isn't it beautiful? And I want you to pass it around this crowd of, like, 300 people. And I want you to really take this rose. I want you to smell it. I want you to just kind of feel it. I want you to to pull some petals off to take home if you want to. And so the rose is making its way around the room. And he says, his, crescendo, his great closing, his crescendo, is he says, where's my rose? Bring me my rose. And they bring up this rose, and you can imagine it's this mangled, broken down the middle, petals falling off rose. And his great like crescendo is, see, who would want this rose? Who would ever want this rose? And Chandler says the whole time he's been getting angrier and angrier to the point where he, when the preacher asked the question, who would want this rose, he couldn't, he could not help himself but stand up and say, Jesus wants the rose. Jesus wants the rose. And there's a sense in which that is the, that's the power of the gospel. Now, here's where I think this hits you and hits me. Is I think my whole life I've thought to be ashamed of the gospel means you're afraid of sharing the gospel. I don't think that's what Paul's saying. I think what he's saying is there are two ways to be ashamed of the gospel, really. The first way is to, to, to think you're a pristine rose. And to think you really are kind of too good to need Jesus to die for you. And if that's you, like, you don't know your brokenness. And maybe the problem, I would guess the problem is, your struggle is like my struggle. You are not very outwardly broken. You are not constantly outwardly breaking God's rules and commandments. But what you were doing is you were inwardly breaking his character because you were so self-righteous, you didn't love anybody but yourself. And the other way sometimes we're ashamed of the gospel is we, we've, maybe you're here tonight and you feel like that broken, mangled rose. And you feel like, see, if you knew me, if you knew how not a, a virgin I was, if you knew what an addict I was, if you knew some of the things I did in high school, if you knew some of the things I did last night, if you knew what a drunk I was, if you knew what a, you fill in the blank, how could God possibly love me? 
isn't, isn't the way Christianity works that you get yourself together, you start coming to something like RUF, you get some like knowledge, you get some like better behavior, you start reading your Bible, you start praying, and then God loves you? And I'm going to say a thousand times, no, that's not the gospel. That's something, but it's not the gospel. The gospel is where you are right now in all of your brokenness, the, the parts you've shared and the parts you haven't shared, God loves you. He sees you and he loves you. And this is the gospel. This is what you have to hear, that we have been ashamed of the gospel, which means we have been ashamed of Jesus. But the gospel says, as ashamed of him as we've been, he's never once been ashamed of us. He's never been ashamed to draw near you. He's never been ashamed to embrace you. He was not ashamed to go to the cross for you. He was not, he's not now ashamed to receive you with open arms in the most non-creed-like way. To receive you and to love you and to know you. He is not ashamed to know you. He is not ashamed to love you. He is not ashamed of you. And when that begins to sink in, it does radical things in us. This is what you got to know about RUF. And this is, I'll say this and I have one more closing thing. Here's what I want you to know about RUF. We do not have the coolest music. We do not have a speaker who reaches like thousands upon thousands. That's me. I'm pretty awkward. <laughs> we do not have events that are like so cool that they could be straight out of a Wes Anderson film. But I think we have something better. We have the gospel. A gospel that says, come in your brokenness and come hear about how, what God has done about it and how he loves you in it. And that, that is the power. That is the power of Christianity. That is the power. That is the secret. That is the everything. I'll close with this. So one of my favorite movies is Cinderella Man. And I love the, end of the, uh, the, the scene at the end. If you know the movie, it all, uh, Russell Crowe, uh, Renee Zellweger at their peaks. And Russell Crowe plays James J. Braddock. He's about to go fight. He's fighting to provide for his family. He gets into boxing to make money for his family. And he's about to fight this guy, Max Baer, who literally, he's kind of like the Ronda Rousey of, of boxing in his day. He like literally killed a guy in the ring. Everyone thinks James Braddock's going to get destroyed. So it's the night before the fight, and Renee Zellweger, Braddock's wife, sits him down. And she's trying to encourage him, and she's trying to inspire him. And here's what she says to him. She says, you just remember who you are. You're the bulldog of Bergen, the pride of New Jersey. You're everybody's hope and the kid's hero. And you are the champion of my heart, James J. Braddock. And I think tonight Jesus has something similar to say to us. And it's simply this. You remember who you are. You are someone that is so broken, I had to come and die for you. But you were someone who was so loved, I came. And I gladly gave myself in love for you. You are broken and beloved. You have a new name. Your old name is gone. You have a new name in the gospel. Broken and beloved. Let's pray together. Jesus, uh, I pray for my friends. I pray for myself. Um, Sometimes... We hear the gospel and it seems like, how could this be for me? And I pray for the person who's thinking that you would uh, work in their heart and and show them this exactly for them. Lord, I pray for those of us who come. We've heard this a million times and we feel a little bit dead to it. That you would be be gracious to, to wake us up to it. To let us believe the gospel afresh in ways that absolutely make us a different person this semester. Lord, we, we are totally in need of you to do that in us. And we ask for it and we pray for it, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. My folks, they left you. I 
was falling in love just before I ever met someone. Like a player don't expect an answer, though you asked for one. I showed my love would come along like some rare bird, and only I would recognize his home. The actress I've seen on the television with the stage lights on. What I found was a gamble. Yourself and with me, but of course you lit a candle. But we were only strangers cornered in a dark room, projecting slides of cozy loves on the wall. And in the light, I thought I saw you. Was it nothing at all?